I'm really glad to be here today. I've got some friends in the congregation, Les, uh, the Jacksons, uh, John at the back doing a PowerPoint who said, if you weren't a trustee of the charity I work for, I'd really be horrible to you today, but I'm going to be nice. So, <laughs> that, that's the welcome. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say that um, it is great to be here with you today. Uh, 12 months ago, I was polaxed on my back. They thought I'd had a kind of stroke or a TIA. Um, I told the doctor I thought it was a migraine. And six months later, he said to me, do you know what? I think it was a migraine. And I said to him, uh, I told you it was a migraine. And he said, no, you didn't. And I looked at Vivian and I went, he sees six million people a day. Of course, he's not going to remember who I am. Bless him. Um, but I came out of my, cons uh, I went down in June. And by the time I saw the consultant properly, it was January. And I came skipping out of that appointment going, thank you, God. Uh, they looked at uh, all my scans and said, you're okay. Nothing's changed. And uh, they were showing me my brain. It's quite big. And, uh, <laughs> and said, we had one of these scans five years ago, and nothing, absolutely nothing's changed on it. And if you'd had one of the more serious illnesses, we would have seen significant change. So I praise God for that. I'm quite excited and happy. And uh, going, Lord, you give me some time. Let me make the most of it. So let me make the most of this time now. Um, just wanted to show you some slides about uh, um, Heba. Just give you a, a bit of brief. Brief Heba news. Okay, so this is Judith Miller. She's a moderator and chair of trustees. She's a very talented woman. When I first met her, we just nominated her to go to the Baptist Council. I spoke to her for 10 minutes and I thought, why are we wasting her on the Baptist Council? We need her here at Heber. And I spoke to um, Tim, who was Tim Ferguson, you know Tim, uh, who was the moderator of Heber at the time. And I said, you've got to get this woman on board. She's so talented. Well, now she's just become the moderator and Chair of Trustees, very, very talented, Judith Miller. And uh, at the beginning of the year, well, about three years ago, when George Floyd was murdered, I wrote an impassioned uh, vlog and broadcasted it and said, if anybody is crazy enough to join me on this Justice Hub, for racial justice and all the other justices, then we're going to meet in September and we're going to get started. And uh, so we've been going for three years now as the Heber Justice Hub. And this is our second annual gathering. Just going to play this for a little while. See, so yeah, this, this will. Oh. Is there anything there to play? Because sometimes when you put bounce these things across, the film doesn't go with it. So, wow. We had our second Heber Justice annual meeting. And uh, at it, there were 25 people. So from starting with one, 
We now have a team of 25 people. We look at three areas of justice now. We started with racial justice. Some of you are really good in trialing one of the studies I wanted to put out. And Sharon and the guys who watch the uh, videos on racial justice wrote me a massive critique on it. And uh, really, it was just too much for a Bible study group. It was too deep. It was too long. Um, but it, it made people feel uncomfortable. Not just white people, but black people as well. But I think the whole point of the exercise was we've got things that we need to learn, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. And so I was really grateful that your church was one of the ones that trialed one of our things. Well, since we had the racial justice, we've had disability justice, a year of disability justice, and we also now have moved And with women's justice, uh, that's headed up by the wonderful Denise Doby, Reverend Doctor, works over in the black country, works over in um, uh, Dark House, a beautiful name for a Baptist church, Dark House Baptist Church. <laughs> Les got a boys' brigade company over there that um, we used to go and play football against and table tennis and the like. And coming out of the heart of inner city Wolverhampton, we used to go across there and go, boy, this place is grim. <laughs> so <laughs> they're building new houses around there. They've got great parklands around there. And it's really coming back to life. And Reverend Doctor, medical doctor at that, uh, Denise Doby is a pastor over there. But she also heads up women's justice. And this year, they're looking at a number of themes during the year that uh, various churches can get involved in. And this year, this, at this time, they're looking at uh, women's justice and uh, gender inequality in the workplace. In the first month, they looked at um, domestic violence. In the third month, they looked at women in ministry. And at this time, they're looking at the injustices against women in the workplace. And so they have a number of studies. Uh, you'll find this on the Hebrew website under uh, women's justice. And every two months, they change it, and they give resources, and they give a prayer. And uh, I'm really proud of the work of the Hebrew Justice Hub. I'm really proud of the work of the Women's Justice. Now, if you phone up Heber, you normally get the wonderful Karen Martindale. Now, I was wondering how long she'd been there. She'd been there 34 years, 34 years uh, before Heber was Karen was. And um, <laughs> I'm not saying she's that old, but she knew Methuselah. Anyway, and uh, <laughs> she's gorgeous. She really is gorgeous. There isn't a thing she doesn't know. She's got more than a little finger than most of the regional ministers have got in the whole being. And if we want to know something, we go and ask her. If we want some wisdom, we go and ask her. Now, I put her up there today because for the first time in 34 years, she actually gets a sabbatical. And, uh, and uh, 
We don't know how the place is going to run for a month without. <laughs> but pray for her. Uh, before I became ill, she was ill. And she had a heart attack. And uh, when the ambulance got to her, they brought her straight into the hospital and straight into the operating theater and put a stent straight in. Uh, do not pass go. Well, she's doing fine now. She's as cheeky as ever. <laughs> and, uh, but pray for her, because um, in this sabbatical, she's going to have a look at a few things, but she's also going to take a little bit of a well-earned rest. So that's uh, a little bit on Heba. We love what we do. Your moderator, your, your regional minister, Neil Letizier, is a tremendous person to work with, very wise, very clever. He's had some really difficult churches to deal with. I don't think Alton's been on the list, <laughs> but uh, um, he's come through them so well. Um, he said of one church, I really wanted to go up to leadership and smack him. Now, if you know Neil, that's not in his locker at all. He's so gentle and mild. To anger Neil, you have to really <laughs> go so. But no, he's a tremendous man of God. And our team leader, Adrian Argar, uh, he's been there for 16 years. And he is a tremendous leader as well. So let's turn to our Bible, shall we? And see what the theme is for today. It's uh, be as wise as snakes and innocent as doves. And uh, we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. But I might read a little bit further than that uh, to verse 22. It says, Look, it is I who am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Show yourself as wise as serpents and as pure as doves. Be aware of people for they will hand you over to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, that you witness to them, and that you make witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. What you are to speak will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brothers will hand over brother to death, and father will hand over child. Children will rise up against parents and will murder them, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And so as we're looking at uh, this passage of Scripture Today, we're thinking about how we do evangelism in the 21st century. In a day and age where if you don't share the truth of the people around you, they go for you. If there's nothing as intolerant as, no, there's nothing as intolerant as tolerance. And uh, you say something that the rest of the world doesn't like, and they'll have a go. Thus it ever was. 
verse it was from the time Jesus started preaching the good news. People don't like to hear what they don't like to hear. If you say something in this day and age that people don't agree with, they'll go for you. They'll be reasonable until you say something they don't like. And then they become very unreasonable. And so this scripture is telling us that we need to be as wise as snake and as innocent of, as doves. Jesus is saying to us we need to be gentle but smart when we're sharing the gospel. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been on lots of mission trips. I've been to lots of churches. I've, I've even gone to different parts of the world and done some mission. But I've never preached on this passage of scripture before. So I, I, I kind of learned quite a few things while I was looking through it. First of all, I want to tell you that it is a dangerous mission. Your mission, should you accept it, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's your mission. Everybody is commissioned to do that. Whether you're the big evangelist who stands at the front and says, I want you to get up out of your seats and come down to the front. Flip, 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 Billy Graham. Or whether you're the person at the workplace around the coffee going, I went to church today and there was this guy from Heber and uh, he spoke about me telling you why I believe in Jesus. I don't really know what to say. Except I went to church on Sunday, had a great time. The guitarist was brilliant. His singers will be on Britain's Got Talent at some stage. <laughs> how, how, do we, how do we tell other people about the mission? How do we tell them about our faith? It's dangerous. It's a dangerous mission. It's a dangerous mission. When the original missionaries went to different parts of the world. They not only took their life belongings, but they took their coffins with them because they didn't expect to come back. It's a dangerous mission. It's a dangerous mission. We need to be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, Jesus is sending his messengers out See if I've got anything to follow here. <laughs> right. um, he's sending his people out. Look, it is I who am sending you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. Show yourself as wise as serpents and as pure as doves. The challenge of Jesus to his messengers. I'm sending you out there amongst the wolves. Now, coming from Wolverhampton <laughs> and supporting the wolf, I know how dangerous it is if you're not a wolf supporter, you sit with the wolf supporters. I sat next to a guy who supported Arsenal in the south bank of the Molyneux. He said, I support Arsenal. I thought... You better get away from me, mate. <laughs> if you're going to say that in public, you're going to get your head kicked in. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
said I grew up an Arsenal supporter. I'm going, why are you still talking to me? <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge. You know, there we are, bounce along as innocent sheep, and there are people out to get us. I don't know if you've seen the teeth of a wolf. They are designed to tear things apart. Jesus is saying, we're the sheep, and there are wolves out there who are looking to devour us. And why would they want to devour us? we got a message that talks about love and hope and peace and harmony and joy, forgiveness, eternity. Why would they want to harm us? Well, Jesus gives us three reasons for the trials that his people might face as they go and share the message. Jesus is keeping it real. He's not, you know, we like to say, we like to think everything's going to be nice and rosy. We look for our rose-colored glasses and we think, come to Jesus, you'll get your brand new Mercedes. He will give you a brand new house. Come to Jesus. Some of the messages are peddled by some of the Christian leaders. All your problems will be gone in an instant if you come to Jesus. Well, the gospel doesn't preach that. The gospel doesn't preach that at all. Because there are people out there wondering what we're about. And Jesus says, when you come to me and when you tell others about me, there are those out there who want to take you down. They want to step on you. And why will they want to do that? So, in Mission Impossible, you get a tape recorder. This is the old-fashioned Mission Impossible tape recorder, just in case you don't know. It's a real magnetic tape on a... <laughs> this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Dun, 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 dun. And then the tape self-destructs. And then you go out and you do. Tom Cruise goes out and does his mission. We're in the world to bring people to Christ. Yet some people don't want us to share anything of the good news. And there will some people and some states... Some countries will stop at nothing to stop us. Winston Churchill in the 1930s, 1940s said, I offer this country blood, toil, sweat, and tears. There are at the heart of the Christian adventure, this danger, this threat to us if we share the good news. Even in the 21st century, if we say something that the rest of the world doesn't like, we're in trouble. I had a friend who, a school teacher, art teacher, art teacher, was asked by an art class, what do you think about this, miss? What do you think as a Christian? So she said what she thought as a Christian, 
and were suspended from school as the children went and told their parents and told the head. And she said, I was asked a question. I thought, oh, you are so naive. You're so naive. You've got to be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. You've got to know that if you shared exactly what you believed, it would get you into trouble in that environment. She didn't offer anything in a nasty or horrible way. But Jesus is saying to us, join me. It isn't easy. Rich and poor alike will be against you from time to time. But I need you to go out and share that good news. So what are the trials that they come up against, what we will come up against? Well, for sharing the good news, we could be brought before the courts, the authorities. Some people aren't allowed to wear crosses on their blouses or on their jackets or on their shirts anymore because it's viewed as inflammatory. And because you do that in all innocence, sort of saying, oh, this is who I am, without needing to say this is who I am. They get into trouble. So they get slandered. And why do they get slandered? Because the world out there believes different things about Christianity. In the first century, this is what they believed. We've got communion. We will say in a few moments, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take it and eat it. This is the blood of Christ shed for your sins for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. Please take it and drink it in memory of me. Because the rest of the world didn't understand what was going on, they said, them Christians are cannibals. They eat and drink flesh and blood. They're cannibals. How can we be associated with them in any sort of way? Well, they were accused of all kinds of things. And... Uh, they wouldn't take oaths to the emperor. They wouldn't swear allegiance to anybody but their God. As soon as they did anything that flew in violation of the authorities, they were seen as, as a problem. Secondly, Christians were accused of tampering with family relationships. I don't know about you, but when I first gave my life to the Lord, my mom went, huh. We'll see how long that lasts. Whew, I had a ferocious temper back in the day. And I nearly, respo I nearly went straight in. I thought, now Dave, Dave, you're, you're a new creation now. You, you don't need to respond in the way that you used to. But Christians were accused of breaking up families. Because you no longer did everything that their family asked you to do. Because it wasn't really in keeping with what you believed in as a Christian, as you were being transformed, as you were being changed. Sometimes parents were against their children. Sometimes husbands were against their wives. Sometimes children were against one another. And so the charge was Christians break up family. Christianity breaks them up. And what was another charge leveled against Christianity? Christianity destroys the social stratus. Would you believe that in the time of Rome, the Romans had something like 
me just look at that figure. 60 million slaves. <laughs> 60 million slaves across their empire. Now, it's true, the Bible doesn't actually, and Jesus doesn't actually say anything against slavery per se. But the Christian church made no difference between a slave and a slave owner, a landowner, and a pauper. And within the Christian church, it was possible for a kid from Wolverhampton to talk to people who live in Alton. They weren't having it. <laughs> they, a slave could be the leader of a church which was full of all the hierarchy of society. And those who weren't involved in church and didn't know what heart transformation was going on within the lives of the Christians, making everybody equal, didn't understand it. And so they were very against anything that changed the stratus the status of individuals. They didn't like it. Traders didn't like it because they would lose out on money if they were trading in illegal things and a person became a Christian and said, I no longer do that. Then automatically, that trader's income would go down. There was a lot of things that people got upset about. And sometimes when we share what we feel, um, when sometimes when we share what we feel on justice issues, on be stopped. Becoming a Christian then seriously affected the society and the community. And yet Jesus tells us to still preach the good news. You see, Christianity preaches a view of man which no totalitarian state can accept. Christianity deliberately aims to obliterate certain trades and professions. Does. And therefore, the Christian is still liable to be persecuted for their faith. Well, that's, that's, that's the way it is. Jesus is keeping it real. But he's still sending us out there. So, if that's the case, why would we do it? Because we know that the transformation, life transformation that happens when Jesus steps into our hearts. It's not there to make our lives worse. It's there to make everyone's life better. It's there to bring people to God. It's there to tell people how much God loves them. You wouldn't think we get persecuted for such a, a beautiful message, but we do. So how are we supposed to be as a wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Well, I've got to tell you, God says when we speak, occasionally we need to let his Holy Spirit just speak through us. We need to let him just say something into the situation 
we find ourselves. As a minister, I've been in many situations where I've been scared. What, you Dave, you Dave, you big man mountain scared. Yeah, one of the bits of my job, I didn't particularly. I do. What am I supposed to say to the person on their bed as they are going to meet the Lord? Boy, that's scary. And then I get to the handle of the door of the ward and I go, Lord, it's over to you now because I don't know what to say. I'd walk in there. <laughs> One particular story, Mr. Parchment. Mr. Parchment is a lovely, lovely man. Just going to meet his Lord. And he said, David, that's Jamaican for those of you. <laughs> David, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I went, Mr. Parchment, you're scared. <laughs> I'm scared over here as well. And the Lord said to me, David, what about that film you watched the other day? Start off with those words. And I'll ask you to tell me which film this comes from. A man like you who's done so much good. Okay, if any of you have seen Meet Jack Black, as uh, Jack Black's been taken off to, um, as, the, as the businessman's been taken off to glory, Jack Black says to him, a man like you, that, should I be worried about going? A man like you who's done so much good. I said that. Then I found a Bible verse popping into my head, and then I said something else. And Mr. Parchment said, I'm not scared anymore pastor and then two hours later he, he he went to meet his lord now i didn't know i was gonna go in and say that i had nothing in my head that could envisage any kind of comfort or give any kind of encouragement and yet i gave the holy spirit a chance to speak and he gave the words to reassure a person when we talk to people in evangelism you might be thinking i don't know what to say but, you know, if you open your mouth and say, do you know I went to church yesterday? Okay, Lord, it's over to you as to what else comes out of my mouth now. Um, <laughs> God just presents us with beautiful opportunities. You can see evangelism, evangelism has to be part of our DNA and part of what we've got to share. So how do we do that? in the 21st century and how do we do that in church now this bit I feel really I feel like I've got imposter syndrome here because I know what your church has done in the past to go out and reach different communities I know the times when you have taken a Sunday off and you've been sent out to join clubs so that you can get alongside people out in the community with an aim of building friendships and relationships and seeing where they lead. So these next suggestions that I share with you, I'm thinking, oh, they've been there, they've done that, they've got the T-shirt. But I'm going to have to share them with you anyway. <laughs> okay. So how do we do that? We need to build evangelism into our vision. I suppose that's why it's down in your study on being transformed disciples, transformed followers of Jesus. We need to find a way of sharing the good news with people, not everybody's going to be anti us. 
and you know, if we live fairly decent lives, some people will be looking at us and wondering, what is it that makes them tick? What is it that makes them different to the people we know around us? We need to build it into our vision. Our vision of what a church needs to do, how we go about sharing. We need to make it part of our prayer life. Somebody sent me 76 pictures of my first church. Wow, I had hair then. My first church. We did a Billy Graham mission. Before you do the Billy Graham mission, they give you prayer triplet cards where you form a prayer triplet and then you pray for people that you want to see saved, you want to see come to faith. So then you have to set up a sort of prayer meeting and then you pray for these people. And some of them saw all the people on their list come to faith and some people never saw anybody on their list come to faith. But some people came to faith by the power of prayer. We need to examine how we communicate. Now, my brother-in-law, Nigel. Nigel, businessman down south, plays golf in a very nice golf club as part of the Lions. And, you know, just does all that Southern England, Middle England sort of stuff. He's so self-sufficient. He doesn't feel he needs Christ. But when he went to my wife, his sister's, baptism the preacher went you are a worthless sinner maggot and we want you to come here and change your ways and he went flipping heck (laughs) i'm not going back there again he called me a sinner (laughs) we need to choose our language we need to work out what we're going to say to people i was speaking to my italian brother-in-law he speaks italian and I can order breakfast and ask where the bank is. <laughs> right. So his wife, Vivian's sister, was translating. So I said to him, um, and we'd just been to his daughter's first communion, mainly Catholic country, Italy. Um, so we were talking about faith, and he said, uh, I said in the conversation, but the thing is that God is love. And he went, eh? God is love? I never heard of that before. <laughs> I said, well, what have you heard? God has a big stick. And if you step out of line, he whacks you. I said, that, you won't see that in the scripture anywhere. God is love. Tell me more about this God of love. I started sharing the gospel with him, and my sister-in-law, sister-in-law Moira, stopped translating because she realized her husband was getting really interested in what I had to say. It's about how we communicate it. It's about how we communicate the gospel. And one of the ways of communicating the gospel is your testimony. So I want you to brush up your testimonies and go, This is how I came to faith. It might have been yesterday. It might have been donkeys years ago. (laughs) But brush up your testimony on how you came to faith or what God is doing in your life now or the latest thing that you're seeing God do. Brush up your testimony. And that way, when somebody says, 
uh, why do you believe, or how did you first come across this message? You've got something to say to them that's encouraging. And then develop multiple points of access. This is something that you've been very good at. Uh, different ways of people getting to know about the compassion and love of Jesus. It might be through your services. It might be through special events. It might be through an alpha course. It might be through Jesus Explored. It might be through a house group. It might be through an inquirer's class. It might be any number of ways. I spoke to one lad, a Brixton bad boy. He had slits cut into his eyebrows. That's how I knew he was bad. <laughs> We're at Hillsong Conference. And I'm talking to him. I said, well, how's a Brixton bad boy like you come to faith? And he said, my friends brought me along to a service. And at the end of every Hillsong service, they have an appeal. He said, I heard what the guy had to say. And I thought to myself, my life is so messed up. I could do with somebody sorting it out for me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Then he said, now, Dave, do you mind if uh, we stop talking a moment because my favorite song is on? Anyway, Jesus, Jesus. And I realized I was in the wrong section. Because these were the bouncy youth. <laughs> and I could not bounce with them for very long. This guy's life was completely transformed. They'd find a way of accessing, a way of him coming to hear the gospel. Next one. Listen carefully to what people are saying. When I was a, I became a Christian at the age of 18. Between the ages of 18 to 21, I used to be on the evangelism team. We used to go door to door. In an age when you could go door to door. I remember the first door I knocked. We went in pairs. And all I heard was, <laughs> So I stood back and I said, Brother, it's, it's your opportunity to share. <laughs> well, we learned a gospel presentation called Evangelism Explosion. And it was a way of talking through the gospel. And then when you come to the end, you have to say, based on all you've heard, would you like to give your life to Christ? Would you like to give your life to Christ? But part of the training was listen very carefully to the conversation because God will provide an opening for you to share something significant about him. Listen very carefully. Listen. It became so that, uh, you know, through studying apologetics and doing the evangelism explosion, um, I could turn a conversation to Christ very quickly, much quicker than I could as the Reverend Dave Dallas. When I was Mr. Dave Dallas, I could do it really quickly as the Reverend, not so quickly. But by the time I'd gone to Bible college, the age of 21, I'd led 35 people to the Lord. Don't ask me how many I've led since. 35 people by listening and hearing and observing and looking. Wherever you are, whatever your front line is, focus on the front line. It may be that you spend more time at work, or you spend more time at school, or you spend more time at college, or you spend more time at home, or more time in your street, 
Focus on where you are as to asking God, give me the opportunity to share something of what I believe. I'm not asking you to be Billy Graham. I'm just asking you to share something of what you believe. Keep it a priority of the whole church. Engage with your culture. I noticed the Hillsong that uh, uh, engage your culture and new expressions of church. I noticed the Hillsong, that one presentation, they had twin decks on the platform. So that's like me coming up and going, okay, now then, now then, hey, everybody, we're going to praise Jesus now. <laughs> they spoke to the youngsters in such a way that they had a relevant message of the truth in a way that they could access easily using picture. I'm rubbish at PowerPoints. You've just seen that. <laughs> no images. Um, images, fresh ways, fresh expressions. They drape the hall, the hall, the O2 arena. They drape the hall in an appropriate way that would convey a message of Christ in some way. And, you know, as people came in, they were able to engage in Jesus in a totally different way. They would have a starting ceremony, like a start of Olympic Games for the beginning of their conference. Somebody come out and do a performance. The whole half of the church, you know, half of the church would come out, that's a thousand. Half of the church would come out and perform on stage. And you'd be going, wow, wow, look how they all engaged in bringing a message across. The one day, they did a play in, um, they did a play in the Victoria Apollo. I, and that's what was their morning service. And I queued for 45 minutes to get in. And when I got in, I saw a production that was so good, they could have put it on the West End and it would have won performances awards. I loved it because all the songs they translated to Motown. <laughs> it captured me. I was up and bopping and dancing and listening to the message of the same. And then they had a appeal at the end. And another 300 young people put their hands up and gave them to the Lord. And then they followed them up by giving Bibles and cards and putting people into nurture groups straight away. There is a way of us reaching people with the gospel. There are a lot of hurting people out there who need a reason to believe in something. And we have that something that they can believe in. And so there are ways, and it is worthwhile us expressing our faith in a number and a variety of ways and still seeing people come into the kingdom you see, for all the persecution that we could face, there's nothing better than seeing somebody come to faith. I close with my sister, Sandrine. Uh, she was a French PhD student when she came to our church. The first time she came, she went, I'm never coming back to this church ever again. It's too emotional. And she went out crying. <laughs> think, wow, my message must have been really rubbish. <laughs> when she did come back, 
she joined the Alpha course. She went on the Holy Spirit weekend. She's a scientist. She said, the Holy Spirit was like two magnets uh, trying to uh, 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 come together but feeling a force of some sort. And again, I've never heard the Holy Spirit described like that before. That woman's led more people to Christ <laughs> than I've ever done. Um, uh, she's come to a magnificent faith, lives up in Manchester with her husband. Her children are very involved in the church. And, uh, you know, one day she came in and was very emotional. We managed to share the gospel with her in a very relational kind of way. She came to faith. And uh, the rest is history. Bill Hybels was asked by a newspaper reporter, what is it about the gospel? What is your job as the pastor? He went, my job is to turn a non-Christian or atheist into Billy Graham. Well, that caught the news reporter's attention. What do you mean? He shared the gospel with this person, the news reporter, and the news reporter said, but if I believed that, I'd have to tell everybody I know that. He said, that's what I mean. Turn the non-Christian into Billy Graham. I'm not saying we're all going to be Billy Graham. But we've all got, we've all got a little something to share that will tell people about the transformed lives that we've got hopefully the transformed lives that they've seen. And then they will know that Jesus can change their lives too. That's why evangelism is so important. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life and not perish. That's why evangelism, even in the 21st century, is still important. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you've called us your own. And sometimes we feel brilliant and sometimes we just don't feel so brilliant. Sometimes our walk with you is good and sometimes our walk with you is just a little bit rubbishy. And yet, you've called us to be your messengers. And you've kept it real. And you've told us that for what we believe in, some people will just totally oppose us. But you've called us to share that good news so that other people's lives can be turned around and changed and transformed. And they, in turn, will come into service, your service, transformed lives, transformed service, and tell others as well about how their lives were transformed. I suppose that's the way you've kept the church going for 2,000 years, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you continue to keep it a priority of the church to share your message of hope, love, and good news. Use us, Lord. Use even us for your glory's sake. Amen.